Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 13. Hallelujah. This is a familiar passage. Talks about King David bringing the ark from the place where it was unto the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. Now they hit a snag along the way, and they were not able to bring the ark of the covenant to the city of David. And so I pick up here when they hit a snag. So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David, but what did he do? He carried it aside into the house of a man named Obed-Edom. Say Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. But the story is not over there. Look what happened. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all. Say all. All that he had. Simple thought. I want to preach to you on the ark. The ark. Lord, all glory, honor, and praise goes to you. Let us receive this word with gladness of heart, and let us have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I thank you in advance of direction from heaven above. I thank you in advance of what you, Lord God, shall accomplish and do according to your word and path and plan for our feet today. I thank you, Lord God. And we all say in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It had lived in tents. It called its dwelling place the Holy of Holies. It was ministered to and tasked in ministry by the most sacred ministers and preachers in the kingdom of Israel. What am I talking to you about? I am talking to you about the Ark of the Covenant, which is just more commonly referred to as the Ark. The Ark. And that Ark, it had many things inside of it. Inside were the tables of testimony, the Ten Commandments, which were written by the finger of God and then by Moses afterward. The Ten Commandments given to the Lord, to his people of Israel. Also inside the Ark of the Covenant were pieces of manna which the Lord had rained down from heaven. And lastly, inside the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that had budded. And all of those things in the Ark of the Covenant were symbolic. All of those things stood for something. The tables of testimony were the laws of God. The manna 
was the feeding of God, the provision of God. And Aaron's rod that budded, that was the miracles of God. God has his miracles as part of his covenant. God's laws are part of his covenant. God's provision is a part of God's covenant. He is still Jehovah Jireh, your provider this Sunday morning. Hallelujah. On top of the Ark of the Covenant were two cherubim angels which had their wings outstretched. But what made the ark what it was, was not the testimonies, the laws. What made it what it was, was not the manna or the miracles, Aaron's rod that budded. What made the ark what it was, was not even the angels on the top. No, what made the ark what it was, was the mercy seat there between the two cherubim. That mercy seat was God's throne in his kingdom of Israel. That was the presence of the king when they carried the ark. They were carrying the presence of God. They were carrying the presence of their king. Answers. They could go and inquire of the Lord at the ark of the covenant. And when they went to war, they did not fight their battles solo. No, somebody went before them and fought right alongside of them. God's presence went along with them when they faced down enemies in battle. And when the presence of God went with his people, they won every single fight every single warfare and conflagration God gave them victory and God pulled them out on top in every single circumstance so as it was in the Old Testament so it still is here in 2021 when life does not make sense, there's a place I can go to find my answers. I go to the presence of God. When I take my journeyings and wander in the wilderness, I am not wandering alone. Somebody is there guiding my footsteps. The presence of God. And when I go to war, just as they did, I do not fight my battles solo. There is somebody fighting for me. There is somebody guiding my feet. There is somebody going ahead and ensuring that I will win, ensuring you'll come out on top. That is the presence of the Lord. That is the Spirit of Almighty God. And we have a word for that here in the church. We call that the Holy Ghost. It is essential. It is necessary in the kingdom of heaven. It is for you and it is for me. I thank God that presence still guides us. I thank God that presence still speaks to us. I thank God his spirit still fights for us. I thank God for the reality and the availability and the essentiality of the spirit of God. Hallelujah. David desired to be a good king. As all good kings know, he must have the presence of God. To be a truly good king, you must have the presence of God. To be a truly good man, a good husband, a good minister, you must have the presence of God with you. And so David sends for the ark. He sends for the presence of God. And they begin to bring it. But they made, shall we say, a boo-boo. They made a mistake. They tried to put the ark on an ox cart. Get that picture in your head for a second. They tried to push the presence of God or pull and drag it and tug it. And it doesn't work like that. You can't force it. You can't push it. You can't drag it. You can't pull it. But here's how it works. 
if you receive it, holy men of God can carry it on their shoulders wherever they go. If you just receive it, if you just carry it, then he will go with you. You don't have to force it. You don't have to push it. You don't have to drag it. You just receive it and let God go with you wherever your feet shall trod. Hallelujah. When they tried to force the ark, here's what happened. The oxen's feet stumbled, says in the word of God in chapter 13 of 1 Chronicles. The oxen's feet stumbled. And when they did, the ark began to shimmy and shake back and forth. And when the presence of God began to shake, began to move in a way that made people uncomfortable, something happened. Now, I confess I've seen this, Bishop. I've seen the presence of God move in a way that made people uncomfortable. And there's always two kinds of reactions in the church. There's the reaction that you had, where you say, I don't like the way the ark is moving, so I want to quench it. I want to stop it. I'll put my hand to it and make it stop doing what it's doing. But if you try that, if you try and make the ark stop what it's doing, if you try and make the presence of God cease its movement, lives could be lost. If I try and quench the Spirit, the Bible says quench not the Spirit of God. If I try to stop or hinder what the presence of the Lord is doing and accomplishing, a life could be in the balance. I can't afford to quench the Spirit. No, I want to have a different reaction. I will just trust that the presence of God will be okay. I don't have to steady the ark. I need the ark to steady me. I want him to put me at ease. I don't want to stop him. I want him to be in control. I want God in the driver's seat. God direct me. Hallelujah. Yusuf put his hand to the ark and he lost his life. A life is in the balance if I try to stop or to initiate the presence of God, that moving of the ark. And so here I finally pick up at my opening text. So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David. But he carried it aside into the house of a man named Obed-Edom the Gittite in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And there the ark remained for three whole months. And here is what began to transpire. When the presence of God came to the house of that man, Obed-Edom, that presence of God had only been behind curtains and tents. Only sacred preachers had felt what he felt. But on that day when God's Spirit arrived in his house, something supernatural came to him. He would not be the same anymore. No, my dear friend, once the presence of God has arrived in your home and your family, your life will change. You will no longer be who you used to be. Your future shall be rewritten. You'll receive a brand new life. I feel like God has a destiny for you. He wants to redirect the course of the years ahead. But I need his presence to do that. It's the ark that accomplishes that. It is the spirit of God. It's the Holy Ghost. You know, I bet Obed-Edom had a life before that. But once God arrived, that all changed and he received a brand new life. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom, verse 14. And all, say all, 
all that he had. When the Spirit of God arrives on the scene, everything you have, everything you are, all the members of your family, they all see it. They all feel it. And they're all blessed by it. I thank God for it. I need his Spirit to flow in me and in them. I want the freedom of the Lord to break forth in my home, in my family, and among my loved ones. I want God to have a free hand and an open sky to accomplish his holy purpose. Lord, do your will. Lord God, work in me today. And now, after three months, David comes a-knocking. Obed-Edom, I want the Ark of the Covenant. And so, this time in chapter 15, they do it differently. He sends for the Ark, and they carry the Ark on the shoulders of holy men. The presence of the Lord shall always be borne by holy men and holy ladies of God. In verse 24 of 1 Chronicles chapter 15, you'll find the following. They had musicians go before them in 1 Chronicles 15 and 24. They had trumpeters and they had singers there. I want to point out a name among these people in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 verse 24. It tells the names of all the singers, the folks who did blow with the trumpets before the ark of God. And among those names, there's two men who were doorkeepers for the ark. Look at those names. Obed, oh, wrong verse, brother. Verse Chronicles. Hallelujah. Verse Chronicles. Chapter 15, hallelujah. Wrong testament. There we go, hallelujah. Obed-Edom and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. You see that? See that same man, Obed-Edom. The ark came into his house in chapter 13. And two chapters later, after the ark came to his house, it transformed him. Now he had a brand new calling in life. From that day forward, he'd be a doorkeeper for the ark. Maybe he was a blacksmith. Maybe he used to be a farmer. Perhaps he was a tradesman. He had some task or some job. But when God arrived on the scene, his past life was erased. And he received a brand new destiny. A new future being written in the book of life for him. And so it is for you. On the day the Spirit of Almighty God arrives in this tabernacle of flesh. In this home, in this life. Your past is erased. Who you were, you are no longer. Who you shall be is a brand new heaven and open sky. I feel like God is writing future chapters in your story. I feel like God is doing the supernatural within you. And how does he do it? How does he accomplish this? By the Holy Ghost. By his spirit. By his presence. Hallelujah. He was not a Jew. Obed-Edom was not a member of the 12 tribes of Israel. He was a member of the nation of Edom, E-D-O-M. Obed-Edom. Edom is the country where descendants of Esau lived. He was likely a member of the family of Esau. Technically, he shouldn't have been allowed to even be in this conversation. But that don't matter. God can break glass ceilings and erase the barriers and artificial lines of men. Even though, being a man of Edom, he would not be allowed to enter the tabernacle. The closest he could get is the door. 
And so if the closest I can get is the door, that's where I'm going to park myself. I will put me, my life, as close as I can to the outpouring of God's Spirit. I will be as close as I can to that Shekinah glory. I want to feel it. I want to step into it. I want that wind to blow in me. I want His Spirit to flow in my family. I want the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. This is what the Spirit of God does. It transforms you. It changes lives. I feel like Moses also felt that Spirit many years ago. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 1, Moses also had a past. And Moses had a course in life that was going a certain direction. Moses was keeping the sheep for his father-in-law. He was an outlaw. He was a criminal on the run for his life. Kept the sheep, the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And he went to the backside of the desert. Translation, he got alone. He got away from everybody else. He came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. Say Horeb. Horeb. It was there at Mount Horeb. Something happened. He saw a sight in the distance in verse 2. He saw a burning bush. A bush that was on fire, but not consumed. Full stop right here. I've seen this verse many times. But God gave me something a few years ago about this I have to share with you. Do you get that the burning bush was a type of Moses? It was on fire, but not consumed. Everything Moses was was on fire. Egypt, gone. His past, gone. His friends, gone. His old life in Pharaoh's palace, gone. Everything was lit on fire in his life. But he was not consumed. Because the fire of God will not consume you. It will transform you. And there at that fire of God, Moses was transformed. He received a new destiny. He received a new life. And maybe this morning, you feel like you're on fire. Maybe every Everything you have been is gone up in flames of smoke, but you are not consumed. You are not dead. You are being transformed. You are being changed by the fire of God. There's a brand new life for you, my friend. God is rewriting your destiny. I thank God. He's giving you a new future. Hallelujah. And now 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 8. There was a man kind of similar to Moses. His name was Elijah. Isn't it funny how Elijah and Moses were the two men that Jesus talked to on the Mount of Transfiguration? Both men had been to the same mountain. Elijah, in this verse, you will read, Elijah went to Mount Horeb, all right? He went to the same mountain that Moses saw the burning bush at. In 1 Kings 19 and 8, Elijah the prophet went to Mount Horeb. Why? He was on the run for his life. Jezebel told Elijah she was going to kill him. And Elijah believed her. I believe Elijah was clinically depressed. He goes by himself alone, doesn't talk to anybody, goes into a cave for weeks. I think he was depressed. All right? He gets by himself. He feels like he's going to die. And when you're at the end, when you think you're at the end, who are you? When you feel like you're at the end of your rope, who are you? Here's who he is. He wanted to find the Spirit of God. He wanted to find God's presence and feel God's presence one last time. He can't go to the temple, though, 
because Jezebel would probably have her guards waiting for him at the border. Can't go to the house of God. So before the temple was built, what was the last place that God's presence was? In his mind, he remembers that God talked to Moses on this mountain. And so he goes 40 days and 40 nights and fasts to Mount Horeb. He gets there. If I can just make it back to that place where I remember my ancestors felt the Holy Ghost, where my ancestors experienced the presence of God. That's why Medora Church is so important. This is a place where generations of apostolics have felt and been filled with the presence of God. And those souls who are backsliders, maybe you haven't seen them in 10, 20, or 30 years, but they remember Mount Horeb. They remember this mountain. They know where God's Spirit dwells. And if they could just make it back in one good old-fashioned revival service in one good full apostolic altar call maybe something could transpire maybe something could happen maybe god could meet them at the mountain and they could be refilled with the spirit and oh when elijah came to the mountain god did not disappoint god showed up and there was a great and strong wind but god was not in the wind and there was an earthquake the earth shook beneath his feet but god was not in the earthquake there was a fire but god was not in the fire and after that fire a still small voice and that voice began to heal him and that voice spoke direction and peace and compassion to him the voice of god sent him back out as a prophet and told him what he should do and prophesy in the days to come. My friend, dear Elijah, your ministry is not over. This is not the end. This is your beginning. You are being recommissioned. You are being changed. You are being sent back out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is what happens in the presence of God. One last example. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 15. Now, I'm going to read this verse. There's a word in this verse. Samuel, little boy prophet here, lay until the morning. He heard the voice of God, and he didn't know what to do with it. That is the first experience of many people when they first feel the Holy Ghost. They don't quite know how to take it. They're still figuring all that out. He laid until the morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Say doors. Now, the Old Testament was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew. So you're reading a translation of this verse. So I have to explain this. There's more than one word for doors in Hebrew. The word here in Hebrew is deleth. It means a door with hinges. All right? There's a problem because the house of the Lord, the tabernacle, didn't have doors with hinges. All right? In Exodus, you'll read a different word. In the book of Exodus, the word used for doors is pethok, a tent door, tent flaps, different kinds of doors. So why did the house of the Lord have deleth, doors with hinges? God explained this one historically. When they parked... In the land of promise, when they arrived with Joshua and built houses and planted vineyards and received the promised land according to God's holy word, the ministry 
got the presence of God, the ark and the tabernacle, and they were tired of moving around the ark. They were tired of how much God's presence would move around all over the place. And so they all collectively made a decision that they would park the ark. And they started building things around it. They built buildings. They built walls. They built doors. They built structures and edifices. And the end of all of that construction is now the presence of God was now boxed in. They put the Spirit of God in a big old box. And God didn't ask them to build that box. Wood, hay, and stubble are the works of man, not made by the hands of God. And the ark, it had one defining feature, didn't it? The ark could move. The ark was inherently mobile. It was a moving, living thing. You can't box it in. And when they built all of these walls, they stopped the ability of the presence of God to move throughout the kingdom of his people. And when the ark finally came to a resting place, it came to the city of David, right? Jerusalem in the tribe of Judah. The other 11 tribes backslid, didn't they? All but the one tribe, Judah, that had the ark in their tribe, in their midst. Not a coincidence, I think, that the one tribe that did not backslide had the presence of God. What if the real reason those other 11 tribes backslid is because the ark was not allowed to move through them anymore? What if the actual reason that Naphtali and Zebulun and Reuben and Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and all of those brothers, what if the actual reason they backslid is because the ark and the tabernacle were not allowed to move in them? And what if that is the actual answer to your problems? you got to have that ark move. But to let it have the freedom to move, I can't box it in. I can't put walls around it. It's got to go where it wants to go. I want God to manifest. I want his presence to work and operate. I need him to flow. I need your spirit. I need the ark. Stand with me. Closing text. I'm going to read you what I believe in the book of Joel to be the most confusing and misinterpreted verse in the entire New Testament. I take this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as the most misinterpreted verse in the New Testament. And you've heard this verse quoted many times probably. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Most misquoted verse. Why? Because we always quote verse 9 and we never quote the next verse keep reading. But God has revealed them unto us. How? By His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. It's not a verse about what you don't have. It's a verse that's telling you there's things your eyes haven't seen. There's things your ears haven't even heard. There's things your heart and mind can't wrap itself around. But God found a way to give them to you. 
How? By His Spirit. How? By His presence. How? By the Holy Ghost. That's how you'll have revelation. That's how you'll have the answer to your questions. It will only come in the presence of God. So this morning... Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.